Hey, happy Father's Day. Woo. Oh my goodness, what a great day. Uh, the, the men here in this church, I am just profoundly grateful to them for being here and being dads that have been a great example to me personally. Uh, my, my, I'm, Dave, I'm Pastor David Bouton, by the way, um, and my, a little bit of my story is I had a really big gap in my life, which was the absence of a father, and this church really stepped in and became what I needed um, in that way, and Pastor Mark um, was the, the biggest uh, influencer there, and so I'm grateful to him. Happy Father's Day, Dad. And uh, so, uh, to the adoptive fathers, a special Happy Father's Day to you. Some of you, for the first time this year, have experienced that, and so you have a special place in my heart uh, for obvious reasons, and uh, I love you guys. Happy Father's Day. So, now we're done with that. Now Father's Day is done, it is over, it has been dealt with. Uh, now we're on to the sermon. Uh, today's sermon is uh, about being made whole, uh, specifically in, a mind, in your mind, the mind made whole. And so we're gonna just jump right into it. We have something really, really special for you at the end of this, and I wanna get to that as quickly as we can, but we have to get through some scripture here and get through a few points. And the context of, of the Gospel of Mark at this point in the Gospel of Mark is Jesus is on his way, his final um, um, journey into Jerusalem before he is uh, beaten, scourged, crucified, and uh, murdered on our behalf for us to be free, he gave his life. So this is his descent there. Um, <clears throat> and they came to Jericho, and as he was leaving Jericho with his disciples and a great crowd, Bartimaeus, a blind beggar, the son of Timaeus, was sitting by the roadside. And when he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to cry out and say, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And many rebuked him, telling him to be silent. But he cried out all the more, Son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus stopped and said, Call him. And they called the blind man, saying to him, Take heart, get up, he is calling you. And throwing off his cloak, he sprang up and came to Jesus. And Jesus said to him, What do you want me to do for you? And the blind man said to him, Rabbi, let me recover my sight. And Jesus said to him, Go your way, your faith has made you well. And immediately he recovered his sight and followed him on the way. Now, the sermon is about your mind being made whole and you may be asking yourself, this is a, maybe a strange scripture to use for that purpose, but what I wanna focus in on is not necessarily the infirmity of the man that was healed, but something that really pops out that is tremendous for us to grasp in bringing our, place, our minds to a place of being made whole. And what's so inspiring and impactful about this man being healed by Jesus is that he has a crowd around him rebuking him to shut up. He cries out to Jesus, uses a term that even says that's the Messiah, that's what son of David means. He's crying out to the Messiah for help and the crowd around him basically says shut up and be quiet. And just the ridicule, I mean, a great crowd. So you can kind of imagine the varying degrees of ridicule coming at him to just to shut him up and make him feel self-conscious and unimportant. And by the way, isn't this the first person that people really after the heart of God should be bringing to the presence of Jesus? 
a blind man crying for help? They should be like tunneling through the roof like the, the men that was helping the paralytic get in close. But here, they're, they're not concerned with those who, who really need the presence of God. And so one of the things that he did that is so, to me, inspiring is that even in the, the throng of people ridiculing him, he cries out greater. He cries out even louder to get the attention of eternity stepping into time and becoming a man, to, to get audience with the one who created him, cries out even greater. We have a crowd that is rebuking us. We need to realize today that every person that came through that door, which includes you and me, we are like Bartimaeus in this respect, that there is a crowd, whether an actual physical crowd in your life of people or just the thoughts that are in your own mind, standing there accusing and rebuking and trying to discourage you from getting into the presence of God, which is the only thing that can truly help us. All of us are blind Bartimaeus today. You all have sight, some of you, but we're all like blind Bartimaeus in this way, that our minds are under attack, either from internal voices or external. Sometimes that voice is the actual enemy adversary described in scripture as Satan, and most of the time, in my opinion, it is my own mind trying to undercut me, getting in my own way. Always trying to silence, always trying to stifle, always trying to discourage, steal, kill, destroy. God paid all on the cross in order to get me to a place where I can actually be free and fight that. He gave it all, paid the ultimate price. He took all of the things that could be condemnation and guilt and shame that are thrust upon me either by myself or other people, and he has given me the antidote to it. He was given a, th a crown of thorns beaten into his skull, driving in so that the thorns in my own mind could be extracted by that same person, <laughs> the power of that person. This is great news. He's given us everything, every opportunity, in every tool in order for our minds to be made whole. So today, we're gonna ask the question, um, what does it take, or how does our mind need to be made whole? And the first place we're gonna look at is with regards to our past. And with regard to the past, that would be our past mistakes, past sin. And one of the things that I wanna do right now before we even talk about it is I wanna pray because I believe the verse that I'm going to speak to you next has divine power to give you the ability to actually believe that he's given you freedom. So Lord, right now, we ask that your words that you inspired John to write would come and take residence in my mind and I would believe it because my mind tries to not believe this and I wanna attack that right now, Lord, that whoever it is that needs that freedom today, that they would have it in Jesus' name, amen. 1 John 3, 19 through 20 says, this is how we know that we belong to the truth and how we set our hearts at rest in his presence. If our hearts condemn us, we know that God is greater than our hearts and he knows everything. Does your heart condemn you? God is greater than your heart. If you're walking around with shame and guilt after having repented, that shame is not from him. 
This week, I want to challenge every small group, small group plug, um, every small group, whether you brew beer or you chase chickens, I don't care what you do in your small groups, but this week, read chapter eight of Romans and talk about it. Whatever your group does, if you're out at dinner, you go to dinner and have dinner with each other for your small group, talk about Romans 8, please. We believe that chapter eight of Romans is one of the most powerful scriptures given to us to tackle guilt and shame and also bring in grace and the acceptance of God. It's a tremendous scripture for that. And I want to be really frank here that whatever limitations you may feel have been imposed on you and your life, any hindrance for you being used by God, those limitations are not put on you by God. We cannot blame him for limitations in our lives. It's either us or what's been done to us from other people that place limits. But there is a way out, and it's one of the biggest lies to believe is that there is no way out. <clears throat> we know that we've been challenged in scripture to have our minds renewed, and the only way that I can imagine that my mind can be renewed outside of the actual presence of God coming in and doing the change is for me to put my mind, which is constantly and often wrong, and thinks wrong, bad things, to actually confront it with true things, good things, that challenge it, AKA study your lovely Bibles. That is what causes the renewal of the mind to take place, confronting what I believe with other information that can either confirm it or deny what I'm thinking. True repentance is also tremendously valuable <laughs> in renewing my mind, actually turning away from what I've just read in scripture and, and taking it on as my own. That is one way that the chains that are wrapped around my mind can fall. Let's talk about shame for a moment. Shame over wrongs that were done against us Abuse, abandonment, poverty. I wanna say this one thing uh, very clearly. There is, there is shame and there is guilt attached to what I have personally done to myself and to other people, and, and there, there's that I've gotta deal with, but there's a particular evil that really breaks my heart, and that is when somebody walks around with shame and guilt over things done to them by someone else. And that is truly heartbreaking for me to think about, especially when I encounter people that have had to walk through that. It breaks my heart. It's like, it's one thing, like, it doesn't break my heart all the time when somebody does something stupid in their own lives, but when evil is done to them from somebody else, that really gets me angry. And in a crowd this large, there's probably people like that who have had horrible things done to you, and I want to tell you today, you can walk out more free today than you walked in, and it's gonna happen. We know that shame, as powerful as it is, it, it, when we think about what it's doing to our own lives, it's, it's kind of like an exposure of everything that you are and a humiliation on a level that feels like it can't even be put back together or dealt with properly. But what we do know is that Jesus paid the price for our dignity to be restored, and our identity is rooted in him. 
And every, everything that shame attaches itself to is directed at your identity and your dignity. And that is rooted in this, that you are created in his image, therefore you reflect who he is. And more than that, we'll get into what the more than that is. But all of that shame and guilt is directed at who you are in your identity. I think that the greatest truth that we can believe, it's my second favorite doctrine of all doctrines that we could talk about is adoption. I wanna talk about this, how it drives and pushes shame in our lives out to the outermost regions, and it's this. Shame is dealt with the adopting love of our heavenly Father, calling us to himself as his children, knowing every hidden crevice of our hearts and still delighting over us. Broken people, he's delighting over that. This is what drives out shame. Let's read Romans 8, because some of you aren't going to do it. I know it. So let's read it. For those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. The Spirit you receive does not make you slaves so that you are in fear again. Rather, the Spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship, and by him we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now, if we are God's children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. Indeed, if we share in his sufferings in order that we may also share in his glory, that makes you walk tall, not your accomplishments. It's the fact that your heavenly father said, that's my son. And I know for myself in my own testimony when I had shame or guilt or, or anything like that over the thing, mostly what I have done, and then there were things done to me. I know that when I really truly experienced adoption in this church, me being adopted in here, both by people and then that opening up the fact that it actually is a spiritual thing that I've experienced with God, you can't knock me down. You can't. And if that takes root in our hearts, if you're walking with guilt, drive that in further. This fact. Because you're his son, and he will not leave you or forsake you. You've heard that preached before, but believe it today if you're walking with shame. He won't leave. That's a good dad. Happy Father's Day. The next place that we need to really focus in on regarding our minds being made whole is our present, the battle over our thoughts. Second Corinthians says that for the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. We destroy arguments with every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey Christ. Do you actually believe that when you speak scripture against your own mind that it has divine power? Like, I mean, let's, let's really get real about this stuff that I'm saying. Adoption, that you're actually a prince in his kingdom? Do you believe that about yourself when you wake up and you look at yourself, Jimmy, every day, you know, and you're like, I'm a prince put here on earth by God. Like, if, if we believe that, you're walking differently. If the thoughts that come into your head, the, the lies, like that crowd of lies that come in, and you go, I have divine power, by the way, thoughts, and you speak it, that's living differently. Take 
every thought captive, it says. And well, how do we do that? Don't believe everything you think. I wish that we would be more skeptical of our own minds. And the reason I do say this is because I believe that scripture defines and describes my mind better than I could ever do. And it says this, and this is why I know the Bible's true, this one reason. There's many reasons, but this one reason is one of the reasons why I believe the Bible is true and not made up by human beings. The Bible says of my mind that it's confused, anxious, closed, evil, restless, rash, deluded, troubled, depraved, sinful, dull, blinded, corrupted. Yeah, a bunch of guys just made this stuff up and they're like, this would make us feel better. No, if anything, this is the most honest work ever produced and it only can be that honest because God is honest and we're not. Jeremiah 17.9 says, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? So our battle is to recognize we are constantly attacking ourselves and that our minds need to be renewed and to actually speak the truth to my brain, to speak it to my own heart. Another thing is, if we realize that garbage in produces garbage out, what are you watching? What are you listening to? What are the messages that are, you're constantly bringing in to your eye sockets and your ear sockets? And uh, you're, you're, that's how you're taking things in. What, what are you watching does produce what your heart wants. And there are many things that are not necessarily even wrong that we watch and like wrong, like you can't call it sin, but what does it produce in you? Do we think about that? What's it actually produce? Are you more kind and loving after having engaged in that or does it diminish that in you? Maybe time to back away, right? Our mind is an important battlefield that's just constantly under attack and we need to consider this. I'm not gonna sit here and call out any one thing that's wrong, but just for you, does it diminish it? And Paul actually says to put our minds onto things that are beautiful, holy, wonderful. Like this is what we're asked by the Apostle Paul to do, and that's always a good thing. Regarding our future and our minds being made whole, everybody wants a good future. Everybody wants that. And the... One of the things that we're commanded not to do, which is actually sinful to participate in, is worry. We're told not to do it. If you do it, that's sin, right? And all of us do it. Let's be honest. After you've done everything you can in a day, and you've even been faithful that day, and all this stuff, and you're, 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 the next day's concerns are starting to seep in as you're going to sleep, you begin to worry, it keeps you up sweating. Uh, you can't stay in bed, you're restless. Um, you keep replaying hypothetical situations and things that could go wrong or, or whatever your fears are, what the worst that could happen, and you allow that to control. I want to read a scripture. Um, by the way, I do that. <laughs> I, this past two weeks ago, I woke up in the middle of the night after I had already done everything that I know to do to prepare for what was coming the next day, and I woke up just worrying, like, oh, what if this and what if that? My wife gets up out of bed because when I get out of bed, it worries her. And so now I've caused another to sin and, and it's, I hate that. But she comes out and she just prays for my mind. I have married a Proverbs 31 wife. And she prayed for my wife, for my life, my head. And it settled me down. Where I could go back to sleep. 
So I know it works. Those of you who deal with anxiety, this works. It's better than pills. It's better than anything is to take the truth of God and believe it. And have somebody else that's got the presence of mind when your mind doesn't have the presence of mind. It seems simple, but it's true. It works. I know it. I've experienced it. If worry is a conversation we have with ourselves about something that we can't do anything about, then prayer is a conversation we have with God about something he can do everything about. Your mind needs to be made whole, and we're not whole yet. We're working on it. We're getting there. But it needs to be made whole. Not worrying about tomorrow, worrying about your kids, worrying about your job, worrying about the diagnosis of whatever you have. So our prayer to God should be, I will focus my mind on you. I will pray for what's bothering me. I will not fool myself into thinking I'm in control of this. You're in control of my life. That's how we should pray. Um, I want to stop talking because what you're going to hear next is going to really bring this home. So Casey, it's yours. Well, good morning. My name is Casey. I'm the small group director here at Northwest Church. Um, I can promise you we don't currently have a chicken chasing small group, but if you can round up enough people that want to do that, then I'm sure we'll be fine. We just don't currently have that many people looking for that type of group. But um, truly, it's an honor and a pleasure to be with you guys this morning. Um, I want to thank the pastors for entrusting me and sharing my story and my testimony uh, with you guys this morning. Um, my goal is that I would be able to relate with you or you relate with me in some sort of capacity. And ultimately, if you're in it, if you're just struggling right now, that it would bring you hope and know that you can get through it, that there is an answer. You don't have to stay in the state that you're currently in. Um, I'm believing at the end of this, it's gonna be a really powerful uh, ministry time. So if you would, pray with me. Father, I thank you that you are alive and you live in us and you live around us and you, and you are so gracious to even speak to us and uh, I'm asking that you would uh, speak to us this morning, that we would hear your voice, that we would respond in obedience. If you're nudging us to, to make an action, that we would respond in obedience. Jesus, I thank you that you made a way, that you shed your blood that, that can cover us up and that can restore us and redeem us and make us whole. Uh, we ask that you'd be here with us, in Jesus' name, amen. All right, so uh, my story starts, um, my story starts uh, when I was two years old, uh, my parents got a divorce. Just curious, anyone else come from a broken or divorced family? It statistically is half, half the room. Um, but with that, uh, my mom decided to get remarried at the age, when I was five, she was not five when she got remarried. Uh, she got remarried three years after my parents got a divorce, so naturally, uh, stepfather comes along with that, and I uh, was given two older stepbrothers. One was six years older than me, the other was, was eight years older than me. <laughs> Thought I got all the tears out in first service, but they're back. Um, this is when my life turned drastically at, at a young age, and I... I brought a photo here of me at five years old because this was the, when I was five, was the first time I was sexually abused uh, by my stepbrother that was six years older than me. Um, and this photo is significant because we had a roots encounter about two or three years ago. Many of you guys were probably a part of it. And, and Pastor Crystal had a session where she asked us to bring a photo from our childhood. She didn't tell us what we were gonna do with it, what it meant. 
she just said, bring it with you and, and we'll, we'll do something with it. So I, I decided to bring this photo, didn't know why. And her session rolled around that afternoon and what she did is she asked us to, to find a quiet place here in this gym and I was sitting right over there by the coffee bar and I was... What was revealed was I was abused the night before that photo was taken. And this picture is deceiving because it looks like I've got joy and I'm happy and I'm free and I'm innocent like every five-year-old boy should feel. But the truth was I wasn't. I was filled with shame and guilt. I remember that joy and that innocence being stripped away from me like that and shame and guilt being put in that same bucket that, that my joy and my innocence should have been in. I was filled with confusion because I now had an influx of feelings and emotions that no five-year-old should have experienced. It was way too early for those sexual feelings to, to, to take place. Um, it was a family member who I sh should have been able to trust. Uh, he confused me even further because he would trick me into telling me it was a game, you know, try to entice me into to participating because it was a game that was being played. I was filled with fear because he threatened uh, me physically if I was to go tell my mom or, or uh, my brother. And I just wasn't safe. I did not feel safe in my own home. And if anyone has ever felt that before, it's a terrible feeling to not feel safe in your own home. That should be the one place where you, where you should feel that. And I did not have that as a young kid. So the abuse went on for years. It happened, happened multiple times. And, and when I was 10 years old, uh, my, my mom and, and stepdad got a divorce. And I hate divorce more than anything else in this world, but I was thankful for that divorce uh, because that meant my abuse stopped. Physically, it stopped. Um, but I can tell you what didn't stop. That shame, that guilt, that confusion, that fear did not stop when the abuse stopped. That only got bigger. That only rolled over in time and got bigger in my, in my head and in my mind. And I was tormented in my mind as a young kid. And, um, you know, when, when they got a divorce, I was late elementary school, about to start middle school. And, and everyone here is either in middle school now or have gone through it, some further away from middle school than others. But it's brutal. It, it, middle school is not fun, especially in the public school system. And I remember just being tormented and worrying and anxious late at night and keeping me up um, because now those, that confusion and those feelings had, had uh, developed. And in middle school, you kind of learn the difference between gay and straight. And I've got these feelings that were done at the hands of a man, and I was confused. I didn't know what that meant. I didn't know what that meant for me. And I remember just being anxious wondering if the kids at school would find out that I was abused and they would think that I was gay. And that, that just tormented me late at night. I didn't, I didn't pray, I didn't know what to do at that time and it, it just kept me up and, and that shame and that guilt just continued to grow. So if you're sitting here thinking that time will let that go away, that's a lie. The only thing time does to shame and guilt is it grows it, it multiplies it, it makes it worse, it makes it heavier. 
So don't, don't allow yourself to believe in that lie that it will just go on. Because I had convinced myself that I was gonna go to the grave without ever telling anyone about it. And it was just something that I was gonna endure because I didn't know what the backlash would be, what the response, people would think I was weird and, and nasty and disgusting. And those were all just lies from the enemy. Um, so everything changed. I, I, I came around here 11, 12, 13 years old. I, uh, would come here every Friday night to, to youth group, and seeds were planted, but at that time, I hadn't, hadn't fully committed my life. I went to a kid's encounter when we used to have them at the hotel um, down in South Orlando, and uh, it wasn't until my freshman year in high school, when I was 14 years old, that I fully committed my life, and it wasn't this aha moment. It wasn't uh, an encounter, but it was through small group. It was through being around guys that had gone through the same thing I'd been through, and hearing the love of Christ and hearing the redemptive power and how, how powerful his blood was and, and wanting to be restored because I knew what had happened to me as a kid and that's how I got saved. So small group plug for sure. Um, but I hadn't fully given this up yet. So I was 14 years old and uh, the enemy still owned property in my mind, right? They still had a piece of me because I hadn't, hadn't told anyone about it. I hadn't given up the shame, this guilt, this fear. I was still holding on to it because I, I didn't know how people would respond. And uh, when I was 16 years old, I was going to Pastor Dave's group here on Wednesday nights. And uh, in this time of our group, it was pretty early on, um, he had us go two at a time each Wednesday night and we'd share our testimony and, and share our story. And for multiple reasons, to help us in public speaking, but to also just bring the group closer together so we'd get to know each other's stories. And I remember it was, it was a summer, it was in the summer and I was working and I just felt the turmoil. I felt the tension in my body of whether I was gonna finally tell this group about it or tell someone about it. And I was anxious all day at work because I didn't know what to do. And I was second to go that night and the guy that went ahead of me um, shared something very vulnerable and very honest uh, that was filled with shame and guilt that he had paid prior to him being a Christian, had paid for uh, his girlfriend to have an abortion. And I remember sitting there and the Lord spoke to me and said, if he can do it, with something that he did with his own hands, why are you holding on to this thing that was done to you? Guys, this is 10 years after it happened. You can imagine how heavy that shame, that guilt, that fear, how much it had compounded over the years. And I remember sharing it. And uh, I it was a physical weight that came off my body. It was something that's hard to explain. Some of you guys may have experienced it. And what I had convinced myself of how people would respond to me and, and take me in was the exact opposite of the reality, right? I was met with nothing but loving arms and encouragement and prayer. I remember what he said to me that night, what Jared said to me that night, what Pastor Ryan said to me that night. I mean, it was, I was so wrong what I convinced myself of what it would be. Um, and, and, and the Lord over the last 10 years has just healed me and changed my life and I thought, I thought I was done at that, at that point, but I'm not. I'm 26 years old now. It's been 10 years since then and I've got awesome mentors and, and uh, pastors here that have been 
convincing me or trying to convince me to, to go to counseling, and I fought tooth and nail, but I got to a point now in my life where I'm trying to go to the next season, and I kept hitting a wall and, and a hump in my life, and um, they're like, well, we don't know what to do with you, so you need to go. They didn't say that. Um, you know, they, they recommended a, a counselor to me, and... Um, it's been, it's been huge. What I had done, I thought I dealt with it all 10 years ago, and I dealt with some, and the Lord has healed me, but what I did was I shoved that guilt and that shame down, like, all right, I've dealt with it. I don't want anything to do with it, but the truth was, I still, I still blame that little kid for things that hit <laughs> for things that had been done to him. And it's weird for me to talk to myself 20 years later, but I had still had shame and guilt and felt responsible. And my counselor, as wise and smart as she is, put it like this. She said, some of you guys know, I've, I've got a, a nephew who's four years, four years old, almost five years old, right around the same age as when I started to get abused. And, and she said, if Jax was to come to you, and tell you he was abused? Would you be mad at him? Would you think he's guilty, he's responsible? Would you want him to carry that shame and that guilt and continue to beat himself up for the rest of his life, or would you forgive him? Would you let that go? And of course, my answer is, yeah, I would, I would forgive him. I would want him to be free of that and tell someone about it. So that's what I've done. I've experienced more healing 20 years later from, from going through it and talking about it. And I've come, I've come to this realization that sin is not what destroys us, right? Because we have the an antidote for that. Jesus died on the cross and shed his blood to wash away our sin. Big, small, doesn't matter. We have the antidote for that. But what destroys us is our shame. Because our shame is what keeps us from going to Christ to get that sin washed away to put that at the foot of his cross. So maybe you can relate with me today, and maybe you're even on the same side of it as me, where you were the one that was abused. Let this be the day that you push through that shame, you push through that guilt, you make a step of action in your flesh, like Pastor Mark was talking about. Let, allow the Lord to free you today. Maybe you're on the other side, where you were the one that caused the abuse, you are the abuser and you've got shame and you've got guilt attached to you. Let today be the day that the Lord can restore you, redeem you, and make you whole. Thank you. This, this wasn't planned, I didn't do this in the first service. Um, but I have uh, many sons, Rory, David, Jared, Peter. And Jesus had this said to him twice in his ministry. And I just want to do it. He knows how I feel about him. But I want to tell the world, after that, this is my son. Whom I'm well pleased. If you'd stand.
I want to invite some of our leaders to come forward, and Casey's going to also um, come down here. Uh, if, this, if this message has resonated with you on any level that we've been discussing, you're dealing with shame, you can't let go of something, you, you haven't even spoken of an abuse that has happened to you, let today, right now, we believe that the Holy Spirit is here and is ready to bring freedom and peace to your mind and wholeness. Um, if that is you and this is hitting you now, please come forward and allow the leaders here to hear you and say whatever you need to hear so that you can let it go and leave it here at the altar. And before you do that, I'll just say this. If we're like blind Bartimaeus, then he heard this, and you can hear this now. Take heart. Get up. He's calling you. If that's you, come now. Micah 7, 8 through 10 says, Do not gloat over me, my enemy. Though I have fallen, I will rise. Though I sit in darkness, the Lord will be my light. Because I have sinned against him, I will bear the Lord's wrath until he pleads my case and upholds my cause. He will bring me out into the light, and I will see his righteousness. Then my enemy will see it and will be covered with shame. She who said to me, where is your Lord? Your Lord is here, and he's bringing that healing. Lord, thank you for giving us peace and bringing wholeness in our minds and giving us the freedom and the ability to leave shame and move forward as your sons and daughters adopted into your family. We thank you and praise you in Jesus' name.